You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. So if you've been here this uh, winter into the spring here at City Church, hopefully you've noticed that I've been telling a lot of stories about rescue. Most messages I've begun with a story about rescue. And I'm going to do that again today. I'm going to tell a slightly different story of rescue. And the reason I've been doing this is because it relates to the book of the Bible that we've been reading through, the book of Exodus. The story I want to tell you today uh, comes from the mid-19th century, right on the, at the start of the Civil War. So on May 23rd, 1861, Virginia had decided to secede from the Union, and they put that decision to a public vote on that day, May 23rd. And uh, people were going to the polls, particularly in Hampton, Virginia, But there was a fort, a Union fort, Fort Monroe, just outside of Hampton, Virginia. And some of the soldiers from that fort went into Hampton and they uh, worked to close the polls because they didn't want this vote happening. It didn't really have an effect on the vote whether or not to secede, but it sowed a bunch of confusion within Hampton. And there were three men, three enslaved men of African descent who seized upon the confusion that was sown in the city of Hampton to commandeer a boat and row themselves from Hampton across the Chesapeake Bay to Fort Monroe, which was a Union stronghold. These men were Frank Baker, James Townsend, and Shepard Mallory. When they reached Fort Monroe, they were received by the Union general there, a man named Uh, Benjamin Butler. And he he received them, welcomed them in, but very soon, the next day, in fact, um, Confederate soldiers came to the fort and they demanded that these three men be released back to their owners. And they cited the Fugitive Slave Act to try to bring them back to their masters. But uh, the Union general, General Butler, uh, said, no, we can't do that because these men are contraband. They're property of war. And he, uh, in, in making that de- declaration, he effectively rescued them from slavery. They went on to work at the fort, but to work as free men, no longer slaves. And over the course of the Civil War, there were thousands more like these three enslaved men who fled to the Union lines or fled to Union strongholds were uh, declared contraband and were rescued from slavery. Now, why is it that these stories of slavery resonate with us? I think the reason that these stories of rescue resonate is because it's a human reality. It's not just that we're into history or it's not just that we're into what happened in a cave in Thailand five years ago, it's that we're thinking about our own lives. That's why these stories of rescue matter, because deep down inside each one of us, we know that we need rescue. We need help 
from beyond ourselves. And in fact, that's what the book of Exodus teaches us time and time again. So if you have a Bible open today to Exodus 5, I'm going to read um, most all of this chapter for us. These words are also printed in the worship guide, and you're welcome to follow along there as I read these words out loud. But let's give this our attention and understand more this rescue story and what it means for us. Here's what it says. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and the foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. But you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you, by your Spirit now, would cause these old words, this old story, to come alive for us. Help us to see the ways that it might connect to our lives, and help us to better understand how you are a God of rescue, not just for Israel, but for us today. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts, that they might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, today I want to talk about what Moses says, what Jesus say, what Jesus says, and what we say. 
And first in this passage, we come to what Moses says. It's famous words. He says, let my people go, in verse 1. Uh, we were praying before the service with a few people, and, and someone brought up uh, Charlton, Tes- uh, Charlton Heston in the, the movie Ten Commandments and his famous line, let my people go. That's not what my mind went to this week as I read through this passage. My mind went to an old song that I learned when I was in, um, in Sunday school growing up. It's, it's the, the song, Let My People Go. And Sarah asked me when she saw the title of the sermon, she said, are you going to sing again today? I'm not going to sing because I don't have that booming bass voice of Paul Robeson to do it justice. But you probably know the, the song, Go Down Moses. Way down to Egypt land and tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. It's a Negro spiritual and it captures the heart of Exodus chapter 5. This is the message that Moses takes to Pharaoh. And Harrison, if you're here last week, Harrison did a great job of setting up the beginning of the book of Exodus because what, it, what it's really uh, setting up for us is this battle of gods, a battle between Yahweh, the true God, and Pharaoh, or the God of Egypt, the king of Egypt. It's this clash of world powers. Will it be Egypt or will it be God? And here Moses comes as a representative of that God and he says to the the, the one with authority over all the earth, let my people go. But notice that it's not really Moses who's saying this. It's the Lord himself. Because in verse 1, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, thus saith Pharaoh the Lord. This is a message that comes directly from Yahweh. It's not something that Moses and Aaron came up with. They are just the mouthpiece. The real battle is between God and between Pharaoh. And God is saying, let my people go. Now, why was this song, why did it become this spiritual that I learned as a a kid 40 years ago? Well, you know, uh, what, what I found out this week is that Go Down Moses, that song, is what's known as a contraband song. The first time it was written down, the first sheet music that we have in history was put together by a man named Reverend L.C. Lockwood, and he was a chaplain to the contrabands at Fort Monroe, Virginia. So it was men like those three men I talked about earlier who escaped across the Chesapeake Bay and were rescued from their slavery who sang this song. Because as they remembered the story of Moses, as they remembered Israel being drawn out of Egypt, they said, this sounds like my story. This sounds like my life. The rescue of Egypt is similar to my own rescue. But notice in the story of rescue that it's not, uh, it's not straightforward, is it? Because Moses makes this great pronouncement, let my people go. But Pharaoh answers him in the very next verse. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? And then he says, get back to your work. Get back to your burdens. And in fact... Make the work even harder. And isn't this often how it goes? 
when we think about rescue or when rescue is announced, there are powers in the world, there are forces in the world that answer back to that and say, I don't even acknowledge the rescue or the possibility of rescue. And in fact, even for thinking about it, I'm going to make your work, your burden, your slavery even more intense. That's what Pharaoh does. And things get a lot worse before they get any better. Because what Pharaoh is doing here, after Moses and Aaron come with this announcement from God, he begins to sow doubt in that God and in his promise. Who is the Lord? And so it is for us, too. Forces in this world answer back and cause us to doubt in God. Is he really a God of rescue? Is his promise really for me? And then Pharaoh takes the next step and he intensifies the work. He makes them feel. It, as I read those verses, it, it was uh, so much repetition, right? We get it about the bricks, right? But that's to prove a point. They want us to feel the weight that the Egyptians were under, even after Moses had first pronounced, let my people go. You see, what Pharaoh is doing is he's saying, you're going to be responsible for the same amount of output, and I'm not going to give you the raw material, the straw for the bricks anymore. You've got to find that on your own. Straw was used to strengthen the bricks, to make them uh, a better construction material. And now it was on Israel's backs to go and find that straw as well. And then notice, too, that Pharaoh essentially gaslights the Israelites. He says, you're lazy, you're idle. That's why the work is harder. He's reinterpreting reality. He's causing them to doubt God and doubt the freedom that has been promised by God. And what does it lead to? Well, by the end of the passage, we see that this doubt and this deepening slavery leads them to grumble. Specifically to grumble against Moses. But Moses represents God, and so they're grumbling against God. They're saying, why have you made us stink before Egypt. Surely you have brought us here that we would die. And the rescue for these Israelites doesn't come until seven chapters later. We're in Exodus 5. It's not till Exodus 12 that they're led out of Egypt. And at that point, after ten plagues that afflict Egypt and afflict the Pharaoh, finally Pharaoh responds to Moses' command, let my people go, and he says, fine. Up, go out of Egypt, be gone. But it takes a long time, seven long chapters, where the condition for the Israelites gets worse, even though they've been promised rescue. I want you to think about what Moses says. Think about these words, let my people go. And how that became a central refrain for all of Israel's history. If you read through the Old Testament, it's repeated again and again. We read from it in Deuteronomy. In Israel's history, they come back to this seminal moment, this seminal moment of rescue. And then in the Psalms, the psalmists again are singing songs. What do they sing about? A lot of times they sing about the Exodus. And the prophets talk about it too. They're always calling back to this rescue because there's something in this rescue that reveals to them the heart of God. But, as great as this exodus was, 
Israel still struggled. Humanity still struggled, right? Slavery, the idea of slavery, the practice of slavery didn't end with the Exodus, did it? You see, slavery, Israel's slavery in Egypt, this is an important point, Israel's slavery in Egypt is emblematic of a deeper human slavery, one that afflicts all of us. You know, so I've told this historical story about uh, in, enslaved African Americans particularly and how black Christians through the years of U.S. history have really identified with the story of Israel and Egypt. It makes sense, right? It's an easy connection for them to make. These black Christians suffered under physical, physical slavery. And so they found great hope in Moses' words, let my people go. I put this quote from uh, an African-American scholar, Esau Macaulay, at the top of the worship guide today. And he said, when Israel was in bondage, God rescued them. He'll deliver us too. You see the through line that they're drawing. They see the heart of God. And if he's rescued slaves then, surely he will rescue us now. That's the case for black Christians through the years, especially in the U.S. But all of humanity suffers under a spiritual slavery. And that's the connection point for most of us. We suffer under a spiritual slavery, a slavery to sin, a bondage to the corruption of this world and to the prince of this world, Satan himself. You know, uh, on the back of our worship guide, every week we have our who we are statement. It begins this way. We are broken people loved by God. You know, we say we are broken people, but we could, tr- we could say that a little bit differently. It would still be accurate. We could say we are enslaved people. That's what we mean by saying that. Our enslavement to sin manifests through our brokenness in all these different ways. But it's essential that you see this point today, that you are a person enslaved to sin, held in bondage by the devil. The Bible makes this clear in many places. I think maybe the clearest is in Romans chapter 6 and following. There Paul is kind of developing his whole theology of how do we understand who God is? How do we understand who ourselves are? And he says, you were slaves to sin. He uses that language straightforward. And he goes on to say, and this is important too, he says, it's not just you humans who are enslaved to sin, but in fact, all of creation is held in bondage to corruption. That's what the Bible teaches about sin. It affects us in our hearts, and it affects the entire created world. Everything is in chains. Everything is in chains. How does this manifest practically, really, in your life? Maybe you're having trouble connecting the dots. You're like, I, don't, I can't identify with the experience of slavery. What about that behavior pattern, that addiction that has been with you for years or with decades. And you probably even use the language and say, I just feel like I'm a slave to this. This thing is holding me in bondage. I just can't stop. It's an addiction. It's a pattern. Or for some of you, it's, it's your family system. right? It's your family of origin. And you're still aware of all of the ways that that controls you every day. 
the anger that flares up at the smallest trigger and you wish it weren't there, but it feels as though you are controlled by it. That's another word for slavery. That is how sin works. And it's true for all of us, showing up in some way or another. And friends, that is why we resonate with stories of rescue. Because in our hearts, every one of our hearts is gripped by a power that is bigger than us. And we long to be set free. We long for someone to come along and say, let my people go. And that's exactly what Jesus says. You see, this problem of human sin and our slavery to sin, where it should lead us is to needing a rescuer who is greater even than Moses. Greater than the one who confronted Pharaoh, the prince of Egypt, the ruler of all the world. We found someone greater in Jesus. And so Moses says, let my people go. But then, thousands of years later, Jesus strides into history and he likewise says, let my people go. What I want you to understand is that all of Jesus' ministry can be understood as him saying, let my people go. When Jesus first showed up, this is in Luke's gospel, he goes to the synagogue and he takes a scroll and he, he opens up the scroll and he begins reading it. And he says, today this is fulfilled in your hearing. Today in me, I'm fulfilling this prophecy. And you know what it said in that prophecy of Isaiah? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Does that sound familiar? My job, my whole being is to say, let my people go. And then Jesus began performing these healings, these miraculous signs. And they were a, a proof that Jesus, in and of himself, could break nature's bondage to corruption and disease and sin. He's healing the blind. He's uh, making uh, cripples walk. And in so doing, he's saying, let my people go. And then he comes to the tomb, the grave of his friend Lazarus. He's been in the grave for three days already. But Jesus is showing that even death cannot stand in his presence. And he resurrects Lazarus and he comes out of the tomb. And in, in the uh, assurance of pardon that David read for us this afternoon, Jesus says this of Lazarus. Unbind him and let him go. Jesus' ministry again and again is saying, cosmically, let my people go. Jesus ends up going to the cross, as you know why, to pay the penalty for our sin, to free us from our slavery to Satan. And on that cross, as he hangs in his last breath, he utters, it is finished. What does he mean by that? He means that your slavery is done. In so many words, Jesus is declaring, let my people go. He's declaring it from the cross. He's saying the sin that has shackled you, that has held you, that, that causes your heart to be wrapped up in chains, it doesn't have power anymore. And then finally, in Jesus' resurrection, which we're going to celebrate in three weeks on Easter, 
You know the scene. There's an earthquake and rocks split open. And Jesus strides out of the tomb, a full resurrected body. And in that moment, he is saying, let my people go. Because he has crushed the power of Satan. He has set free the captives. He has rescued the slaves. And he says that we are free. Now we know this. This is what the Bible tells us. But just in the same way that Pharaoh opposed the words of Moses, so the world opposes these words of Jesus now. And all around us there are voices and there are forces that are doing the very same thing that Pharaoh did. They're saying, who is the Lord? You really believe this Jesus guy? They sow doubt in our minds and our hearts, and they make us crawl back to our slavery. And they deepen the burden that we feel. They cause us to question the grace and love of God and say, No, you're still stuck in your sin. Your sin is inevitable, you'll never be free. And the harder that, our, uh, harder that our slavery feels, the less we dream of freedom and the more likely we are to grumble at Jesus or at God. But Jesus has said, let my people go. That's what Moses says, that's what Jesus says. Well, what about us? What do we say? Well, here I think is the important um, application of this passage from Exodus 5. Moses said, let my people go. Jesus finally and climactically says, let my people go. And then we say, we are let go people. That's what we say. That's what our task together is. That we would be saying that we are a let go people. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ began the resur- uh, uh, began our own resurrection, began our own freedom, and yet we're waiting to realize it in full. And so what do we need to do between now and our final release, our final freedom of heaven? Well, we need to remember that we're a let-go people. We need to remember back to the Exodus where we see the heart of God, the character of God, as a liberating God, one who rescues slaves. We need to remember back to the cross and see in that climactic moment that the, 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 the chains of our sin have been released. And we need to look forward to heaven where we will live in perfect freedom every moment, every breath. And practically, what I think this means is you need to remind the people around you in life, the people in this church, you need to remind them that they are let go people. And particularly you need to do this whenever uh, our slavery to sin manifests. And there are all these ways that that, that the chains come back on and often they're self-imposed. We put the chains back on. You need to name those things and say, no, you are set free. It's those voices that say, well, I'll never change. I'll never break this habit. I'll never be good enough. No, Christ has said, let my people go. You are free. Live in that freedom. 
You need to set yourself free from all of the human laws of righteousness, all the games of comparison that you play. They are chains. They are taking you back to your slavery. And they're a denial of the fact that you are a let-go people. We're all looking at these brackets right now, all the time, right? Instant updates on a bracket. Where do I stand? What place am I in? And it's fine to do with college basketball, but stop doing that in your life because you're all going to the bracket. I don't know what it is. It's somewhere. Where do I stand? How do I compare? Friends, you are set free. Do not allow yourself to be enslaved again. Let my people go. There's one other way that we live this out. You know, another translation for this phrase in Exodus 5 verse 1, let my people go. It could be send off my people. We're used to let my people go, but I I like uh, the, the meaning of send my people as well. Why? Because that shows that both Israel and us today, we we have a mission, we have a purpose. The people of Israel were sent out of Egypt. Why? To worship and sacrifice to God, and you are too. Christ has come, and he says, let my people go, and he's sending you out to worship and sacrifice on his behalf. So do that. That's the other practical way that you live this out. How are you a let-go people? By worshiping God. By telling others, your family, your, your friends, your co-workers, that you have been set free from your sin by Jesus, the great rescuer. It's what the contrabands did. Why did they sing these songs? They sang these songs to remind them that they had been freed. We've got to do the same thing. We've got to sing songs to one another, for one another, reminding ourselves that we are a freed people because Jesus said, let my people go. One of my favorite movies of all time is the movie Glory. It's old. All my movie references are old. But if you don't know the story, it's the story of an an all-black regiment of infantry during the Civil War. It's Massachusetts 54th. They were led by Colonel Robert Shaw. And I don't know this for sure, but I imagine that some of these soldiers were contrabands. Some were escaped in the ways those men at Fort Monroe had escaped. And they joined the Union Army and they fought that others would come to freedom. And there's a, a scene, it's kind of a throwaway scene in the movie. Morgan Freeman is one of the soldiers in the 54th. And they're marching through uh, some town in the south after a victory. And there, there are all these little children Slave children who come running up to see the soldiers marching in formation. And Morgan Freeman's character, he bends down and he looks at the children and he says, Hey, honeys, go and tell your mom and dad. We're runaway slaves. But we came back fighting men. 
It's the kingdom come in the year of Jubilee. And it's a throwaway. You'd miss it the first time you watched that movie. But do you see what he's saying? We were runaway slaves, but we came back fighting men. Friends, that's you and me. We all are slaves to sin until Jesus, our rescuer, says, let my people go. And then we become fighting men and fighting women sent out into the world to be bearers of this freedom far and wide. Kingdom come. It's the year of Jubilee. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your rescue. And I got to think that there's some people in this room today who have never really heard about your rescue. And I pray that they would know and believe that Jesus has said, let my people go, and that his word is true and faithful and trustworthy. Father, help us now to live as a let-go people, knowing that we have been set free from the law of sin and death. Help us to live in the freedom of the Holy Spirit this day and forevermore. Amen.